Welcome to KUOW Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this extra episode, many words come to mind at the mention of Dr. Temple Grandin. Creative, intelligent, daring, persistent, curious, no-nonsense, dedicated, inspirational. If you have heard her speak or seen the movie about her life, you know she is unique. If you haven't heard about her, this talk will be a gift. She is a force. Grandin was diagnosed as brain damaged at age two. Her mother, Anna, steadfastly pursued ways to understand her daughter's condition and ultimately educate her. Anna came to suspect her daughter was on the autism spectrum at a time when the prescribed treatment was commitment to an institution. She fought that, too. Fast forward to the present day, Grandin is a professor of animal science at Colorado State University, a well-known inventor of humane systems for the treatment of livestock, and an internationally famous spokesperson on autism. It is an understatement to say that the person considered brain damaged at age two is brilliant. Temple Grandin gave this talk, Different Kinds of Minds, on March 8th, as part of the University of Washington Graduate School Lecture Series, Equity and Difference, Rights. Here, UW's Director of Public Lectures, Yvette Moy, introduces the program. Good evening, and happy International Women's Day to you all. Great. Great. It's a day that's dedicated to celebrating powerful women all around the world. And what a wonderful person to spend the night with in Temple Grandin, right? I'm Yvette Moy, and I'm the Director of Public Lectures here at the University of Washington, and our office is housed in the Graduate School. Our speaker tonight will be introduced by Eileen Schwartz, the Director of the Herring Center for Research and Training in Inclusive Education. Thank you. Thank you so much, Yvette. As Yvette stated, I'm the, it's my honor to be the director of the Herring Center for Research and Training in Inclusive Education, and I'm also a faculty member in the College of Education. Two amazing jobs at the University of Washington. The Herring Center is committed to building a world where children of all abilities and backgrounds learn, play, and grow together. Through interconnected programs of research, demonstration, and dissemination, Herring Center faculty and staff and our amazing graduate students work to ensure that every child with a disability has access to a world-class education. I'm so honored to welcome tonight's lecturer, Dr. Temple Grandin. Dr. Grandin didn't speak until she was um, over three years old, and she's made up for it since then by teaching us all so many things. She credits um, her mother and caregivers when she was a young child and um, for providing her important treatments like speech therapy to help her find her voice. Her teachers also taught her how to wait and take turns when playing board games and she entered kindergarten alongside her typically developing peers. Today Dr. Grandin is a prominent author and speaker on both autism and animal behavior. As a professor on, of animal science at Colorado State University. She also consults on both livestock handling equipment design and animal wel welfare. 
Half the cattle in the United States are handled in facilities that she has designed. Dr. Grandin has been featured on NPR, the B BBC, Larry King Live, 2020, 60 Minutes, Fox and Friends, and in Dr. Oliver Sacks' amazing best-selling book, Anthropologist on Mars. In 2010, HBO made an Emmy award-winning movie about her life, and she was inducted into the um, Academy, American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 2016. Dr. Grandin is always interesting, informative, and inspirational. I am looking forward to learning from her tonight when she speaks to us here at the University of Washington. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Grandin. Get the mic on here. I hope everything's working really well. Lots of things to talk about tonight. And uh, I want to talk about getting out and doing real things. I got a chance to go visit NASA. Man, I went to all the NASA places. That was cool. And this is a SpaceX launch taken off. And this emphasizes the importance of getting kids out doing real things. Going to real launch is not the same as watching it on television. You know what else I learned when I went to Cape Kennedy? The right stuff rode the rocket. But the geeks, the nerds, the misfits, and some of the special ed kids, they built the stuff. <laughs> I bet you there's lots of special ed kids over at Boeing building airplanes I fly on all the time. And I'm saying that really seriously. I go back and forth between the silos. I go into the tech world, there's all kinds of kids there, undiagnosed autism. They're like Sheldon Cooper. I says, oh no, I don't have Asperger's. I said, yes, you do, Sheldon. <laughs> uh, you definitely do. See, a little bit of autism makes you more thinking. A brain can be more thinking or a brain can be more social-emotional. When does it become an abnormality? There's no black and white dividing line. All right, let's get on some more geek stuff here. There's the SpaceX launch pad where the Falcon Heavy took off. I thought that was so cool, putting the car into outer space. Because that was a test flight. So what do you do? Put boring concrete blocks in it or something like that? Or something fun like a car? With, with a, the, he's got good reading, too. SMS, Isaac Asimus Foundation books for reading. There's the launch there. Got a front row seat. Really, really super cool. And then I went out to Pixar. I like to go to these fun places. This is where the visual thinkers live. Uh, they don't have offices. They buy tool sheds, and then they decorate them and make them really cool. But one of the things I learned when I went to Pixar is that you have to touch to perceive. They said, I've got to get them off the computers and have them draw stuff. And I noticed when my industry, the meat industry, switched from hand drafting on designing things to computers. And right during that switch, this is in the mid-90s to late 90s, they started seeing really weird mistakes on drawings. For example, the center of the circle is not in the center of the circle. And then with every one of these goofed up drawings I had, they had all been done by a kid who had done the computer class, but had never drawn by hand and had never built anything. You have to touch to perceive. Okay, we need to keep these creative classes like cooking, sewing, music, woodworking, theater, welding. We got a huge shortage of skilled trades. 
I've worked with a lot of guys, they were the naughty boys, labeled them oppositional defiant. They need a shop teacher to turn them around, that's what they need. And then you take uh, classes like theater, I get to go to a lot of fancy theaters and I get to like look at all the scenery and stuff they got backstage. Theater is something that artificial intelligence is not going to replace. These are good careers. While you're taking this stuff out, this is stuff where you're still going to have a job when AI starts taking things over. Okay, I was a lousy student. Uh, things went well in elementary school. I got kicked out of ninth grade for fighting. I was just a handful of trouble. Went off to a special student school, spent a lot of time learning how to run their horse barn. But one of the things I learned running that horse barn is I learned how to work. And I'm seeing too many kids with a label not learning how to work. Then I go back to my industry, the cattle industry. And I know a guy who stutters, dyslexic, ADHD, probably autistic, rotten student, took welding, makes some stuff, sell it at some trade shows, and he owns a metal fabrication company. This is what makes me nuts as I go back and forth between the silos. We got kids growing up today that don't know how to use tools. Yeah, you know what's happening right now? There's a lot of specialized stuff we don't know how to build. The Italians know how to build it. Canada knows how to build it because they still have trades classes. Yes, when the things get really messed up and you're living in that fancy-dancy apartment building, there's some big pumps that better work or you're not going to have any water. It's just that simple. Okay, now one of the things that got me turned around in high school was my science teacher. He came on the scene kind of late in high school and now studying was a way to get to a goal of becoming a scientist. Some of these kids don't want to study. It needs to be a pathway to a goal. Another problem I'm seeing is a kid that's labeled uh, autistic or some other label, and uh, they're doing great academically, and then they just crash in the workplace because they haven't learned work skills. And I can't, they, we need, there are too many kids are getting babied. They aren't learning laundry, shopping, all kinds of things like that. And we sometimes get way too much medical model. And I think the DMS-5 has been a disaster because, all right, well, the reason why I think making autism one big spectrum is a disaster is I'm seeing a smart kid who ought to grow up and work for Boeing ending up in the basement playing video games, getting stuck in a class with kids who can't dress themselves. Another thing I'm going to be talking about is I think specifics. I don't think in generalities. Way too much top-down thinking. We talk about an inclusive classroom. I'm going to think about that with specific examples. Like in my little elementary school, there was a girl named Claudia, and Claudia had a heart defect, so she couldn't do very much exercising. So we let her be goalie. We let her like uh, take care of the balls in the gym, always giving her something to do. Okay, that's an example of an inclusive classroom that worked. You see, I like to look at specific examples. Okay, for me, then studying became a path to a goal. Okay, wait a minute, we gotta get that. All right, granddaddies? Oh, I'm sure there's lots of granddaddies over there at Boeing that discover that they're on the spectrum when their grandkids get diagnosed. I'm serious. You know, engineering after all, you gotta have autistic genes or you can't design airplanes. It's just that simple. And especially since they changed the diagnostic guidelines in 2013, I'm seeing this more and more. 
where the granddads are coming up and they're finding out that they're probably on the spectrum. Now, where that diagnosis helps those granddads is on relationships. But I'm seeing too many kids on the smart end of the spectrum where on the job front it's hurting them. Instead of getting a job at Boeing, they haven't learned how to do laundry, and they haven't learned how to shop, and uh, they haven't learned bank account and some of the other you know, basic skills, and they haven't learned how to work. And most of these granddads had good careers. I'm also finding sad stuff where I found a Boeing engineer uh, who would play video games with his son all weekend, and the son never learned one little tiny droplet of engineering. Come on now, this is ridiculous. Daddy has to work for eight hours a day. Boeing doesn't let them play video games all day. You've got, a wor you've got work to do. Okay, let's look at brain variability. You know, people with autism have more relatives in technical degrees. Yes, like engineering. I look at some of my web page results and you've got clusters around Redmond, Washington <laughs> and all kinds of places like that. And then bipolar, you've got more people in creative degrees. In, in creative careers. You see, a brain can be more thinking or a brain can be more social-emotional. Some of this is normal variation. Well, just as I was getting on the plane to go to, go to um, the meeting I just did last night, I got genetic results back from the Linogen Corporation. They got to do the fancy uh, total genetic analysis. Uh, I got it done for free. It's not commercially available. Don't even think about it. <laughs> and what I found out on it is I found out why I got ugly little small teeth, I've got soft nails I can't grow, all the hair fell off, I got all these skin rashes, yep, we found all the things that caused that. Yeah, but the absolute thing that makes you aut the autistic, no. You see, the problem is, it's embedded totally. You see, you totally get rid of the genetics that makes bipolar or makes autism, you're going to get rid of normal variation. Who's going to build the next airplanes? Who's going to write the next uh, great literature and other things? Also, in the animal world, there's a really fascinating paper that came out called a Solitary Mammals as a Model for Autism. Okay, now you take an animals like lions, the, the, they are more social than leopards and panthers. Are leopards and panthers defective? No, they're not. See, then there's a point where you get into a big speech delay, and when I was three years old, I was a total mess. Yes, that definitely is an abnormality. Now, just a couple of little things on working with these kids. Give the kid time to respond when you teach them to talk. Slow down when you talk to them. Also, do not load working memory. Any task that involves a sequence, give them a pilot's checklist. Little checklist, step one, step two, step three. I still have to have that. Okay, what would happen to some great innovators today? Many of them had an unconventional educational path. I'm trying to bust you out of your silo. I make a point, I just, um, the speaking agent called me up today and I'm going to get a chance to do a talk for a big engineering heavy equipment company. Oh man, I'm going to jump on that one. <laughs> and I got to go to all the NASA places and that was beyond cool. Because I like going back and forth between the silos. Here's a bureaucratic nonsense. I had to recycle paper. Listen to this nonsense. <laughs> Burden estimate statement. This is the thing from the government. The estimated average burden associated with the collection of this information. I'm like, who makes this rot up? <laughs> That's why I'm recycling this piece of paper right here. <laughs> okay, what would happen to Jane Goodall today? She had a two-year secretarial degree when she did her famous work. 
That's all her family could afford. Where would she go today? And then, how about Thomas Edison? He was labeled a hyperactive adult high school dropout. Oh, I read a biography on him. He named every street. He memorized all the street names. Uh, he probably had autism. He was really super weird. What would happen to him today? Well, he learned how to use tools. I went to the coolest kindergarten, Northwest University, a Missouri State University, Maryville, Missouri. Three and five-year-olds are using tools. They get to make robots by taking telephone receivers and glue them to an old Dell computer lid. <laughs> then the little kids go, can we put it on the charger? Will it walk? I don't think so. But that's the reason, reason why in Italy, the Italians are building a lot of uh, food processing equipment in this country. We don't know how to build it. You see, that nursery school is based on an Italian model. Yes, I don't like it when I go in a food processing plant and a lot of the equipment's not ours because it simply doesn't exist. Because who invents some of the very clever food processing equipment? It's the weird geek in the shop. I've been in the industry for 40 years. Okay, how about Steven Spielberg? Bullied in school, dyslexic, rejected from a top film school. And the thing that saved him was his little Super 8 movie camera. So this brings up another important thing. Students get interested in stuff they get exposed to. I got interested in cattle industry because I was exposed to it when I was a teenager. We're finding a lot of our students, uh, they come in and they have no background in beef and they're finding out they like the beef industry very much once they try it on. So this brings up another important thing. Whatever field you're in, in college, do internships. Try on jobs. I can't emphasize that enough. Well, this is a really, really interesting book. There's also a super interesting Rolling Stone interview. Uh, I'll let you read that he had a lot of bullying in high school. He was different in a nerdy sort of way, um, doing some really important things. And there's his spaceship uh, docking with the space station. And then, of course, I got to go to Mission Control down in Houston. Got to do all the geek things. And you know, that's the Mission Control for the space station. Why is there nobody in there? <laughs> well, nobody there. I'll tell you why nobody's there. Because as the space station goes round and round and round, you know, there's the blackout zone as it goes round and round and round, just like the no cell zone on the highway. Potty break. <laughs> they got six minutes, then they gotta be back. And there's a space station mock-up. I made sure I made it, you know, it was all taken apart in pieces, but I photographed it so it looked like it was together. Okay, uh, what are some of the common denominators of these unique minds? They're probably a little bit on the autism spectrum. Growing up with lots of books, early exposure to career interests, they learned how to work at an early age. This is a big problem. Academic skills and, wor and work are not the same. Too many kids are graduating from college with honors, graduating from college with honors, and then they don't make it in the workplace. We need to be making that transition to work the kids in the pipeline now starting in middle school with things like volunteer jobs, walking dogs for the neighbors, uh, going into internships when they're in college. That's what we need to be doing. Okay, we need arts too. Let's look at Nobel Prize winners in science. They were 50% more likely to have an arts and craft hobby. Some places are taking out uh, the wrong courses. 
It varies a lot by state. Some states are keeping the classes, uh, others are, are not. I was just in Lewiston in Idaho. Man, they got a great theater department. Just wonderful. Their school's really supporting that. Those are jobs that are not going to go away. People are still going to want to go to live theater. Okay, bullied in school, little Stevie right here. And I'm probably on the spectrum. Learned calligraphy. Einstein had his violin. No speech until age three. He probably was on the spectrum. Well, what happened to him today? This is the thing that really makes you think. I don't think we're really going to find the genetics. Just as I was walking out the door to go to the airport, I got the genetics report back. I got to read that when I get back. They went over with, with, with it uh, over on the phone. And the thing is, they couldn't really pin down the autism genetics. They could pin down why I have these ugly, awful little teeth. They could pin that down and why I lost all the hair on my body. But you see, that was a specific mutation. And I always thought that part of my body was like, I was built by a really shoddy building contractor that builds these really <laughs> shoddy, awful little houses. And I lived in Arizona, there was this one developer, he built these worthless houses that fell apart. Well, that's sort of the way my skin and nails are. They're like a worthless development house. Okay, I'm seeing too many kids today labeled autism, dyslexic, ADHD, Asperger's. I'm worried about them getting screened out. I know they have to have labels in order to get services. But too many kids, especially on the fully verbal end of the spectrum, are becoming their label. Autism's an important part of who I am, but it's secondary to college professor, building things. I'm going to be showing some of the stuff that I've built and designed. And that comes first. The career comes first. The autism is secondary. And the other problem, now that they changed the diagnostic guidelines, is you've got Boeing engineer at one end, and you've got someone who can't dress themselves at the other end, labeled the same thing. That doesn't make any sense. Because without autism genetics, there wouldn't be any Boeing. It's just that simple. And yes, I'm sure if I went over there and I went in their shop, and I walked through their offices, I'm going to find lots and lots of people on the spectrum I've done talks for our honors students, our honors freshmen. They're coming up to the book table, and I go, ooh, well, that one's either computer science or engineering. <laughs> I can spot them coming. And about 80% of our honors students coming in are computer science or engineering. Really interesting. OK, dyslexics, you can be really good at business, like starting up JetBlue. They actually give you leg room in the back of the plane. and. Um, Ikea, ADHD and dyslexia. And here's Gary Cohen. He was a really awful dyslexic student. Well, he has a quote that I think is really good. Knowing where you want to end up is easier than figuring out where to start. This is a guy who talked himself into a high-level job by sharing a cab with a Wall Street guy going to the airport. And he didn't, he didn't even want to go to the airport. He just picked out a guy that looked really uh, important and said, can I share a cab to the airport? And he had to take a cab back from the airport. <laughs> but he talked himself into a job, a job he did not know how to do. Interesting. OK, now I'm going to show you what to do with a political science degree. I want you to meet Tina. Tina is the project manager who just finished up our gorgeous new chemistry building. 
she had a political science degree. So you know what you do? You can't get a job. So you get a job <laughs> with Hasseldan Construction Company answering phones. I'm not kidding. And then, uh, you know, think of how much she learned about the business doing that. She's answering their main office phone. She's talking to the vendors, she's talking to the customers, she's talking to the architects. Then she started working on the finances and the bidding. Next thing you know, she's out in the field. Next thing you know, she's running a job. And there's lots of politics going on at the job. You've got to like deal with the little squabbles, like two workers on one of those little lift things, yelling at each other, saying, well, I don't do any work. And she's got to go out there and deal with that. So you never know where you can get into good careers. This is a really, really good career. Okay, a lot of really creative people didn't do conventional paths. Okay, now what did I do wrong here? Boy, pressed the wrong thing here. Okay, uh, okay, I've got to point this down at the computer that's in the box down here. Okay, this is one of my most important slides. This is the different kinds of minds, and I talk about this in my book, The Autistic Brain. I am a photorealistic visual thinker. Everything I think about is a picture. So I don't think in generalities like inclusive education. I think in specific examples, like Claudia, student in school, okay, somebody in a wheelchair, okay, if the, as long as the building's accessible, that should be no issue in the classroom. I'm thinking about Delta Airlines. They've got a good program. Blind people go to the call center for reservations. And the thing that's interesting there is the person who's in charge of that, their job is uh, actually keep Delta out of trouble with the FFA. That brings a little different way of looking at things. More of a sort of can-do attitude. And uh, they're probably doing a better job of employing blind people than a lot of other people are doing. Okay, but you see, I'm looking at specifics. Then you have the mathematician, that's your engineer. They think in patterns. They calculate everything. Music and math minds. Now, the photorealistic visual thinkers like me can't do algebra. Then you have the verbal facts guy, he loves history. Then you got the auditory thinkers who are really good at sales and stuff like that. Now, the thing is, you need us visual thinkers. Like Steve Jobs was an artist. That's what made the iPhone easy to use. Engineers had to make it work. Now that he's gone, they're ruining the iPhone. My iPhone's losing messages. I'm finding out other people's iPhones are losing messages. I don't know what's going on here. The engineers are messing it up. <laughs> but you're going to need us visual thinkers. Well, let's give an example. I've been thinking about self-driving trucks. Yeah, you're going to take this super expensive rig, maybe with a load of iPhones in it, and... <laughs> You're going to send it across the country, unmanned? How are you going to keep it from getting stolen? Well, look at that backdrop back over there. You know what I'll do to hijack that truck? I'm going to put a big policeman picture on that backdrop, put it out on the highway. That truck's going to pull off the highway, get a GPS jammer, and I can rip off a bunch of iPhones. But maybe I'm going to be really disappointed because maybe it was the cat litter load. I don't really want that load. Now, I don't understand a lot of the computer stuff, but I understand where the sensors on that truck have to deal with the real world. Like the lines aren't painted well on the highway. I bet you the trucking companies will be out there painting the lines all the time on the highway to make sure they're perfect. But you're going to take something that expensive 
and send it all the way across the country without somebody to guard it. Okay, we thought ebooks are going to take everything over. They haven't. Because a book you really want, you want in paper. And by the way, we are selling books afterwards out there. <laughs> and we're selling paper ones that, for me to sign. And, but I do sign Kindles and uh, tablets, too. Okay. <laughs> There's values in the humanities. They teach a different way of thinking. One of my favorite classes when I was in college was English literature. We read pieces of text from the original writing, not somebody's rehash of it, and the professors were explained what they were trying to communicate. This is what Thomas Edison had to say about mathematics, because he couldn't do it. I'm not a mathematician. I can always hire some mathematicians. They can't hire me. <laughs> but you're going to need us visual thinkers to work on safety systems. OK, and you might think if I'm telling you a bunch of rubbish about the visual thinkers and the, and the math thinkers. This book right here, The Autistic Brain, has got all the science in it. I'm worried our educational system is screening out a lot of the visual thinkers. Let's look at another situation where you need visual thinkers, safety systems. Fukushima was a colossal visual thinking mistake. It's not a very good idea when you live next to the sea to put this super important emergency cooling pump in a non-waterproof basement. Simple watertight doors and a sump pump would have prevented this accident. And what I've learned is the engineer doesn't see it. We need visual thinkers in science. There's been a lot of problems in biomedical research on replicating experiments. And it has to do with the methods, like how you stir up your cancer cells affects the results. You see, that's the visual thinking part. It's important. There's different ways you can teach math. Don't get hung up on too much top-down theory rubbish. You know, inclusive. Let's figure out specific situations where it works, and we work on it one success at a time, and write about it. OK, I understand some schools not accessible to wheelchairs. Well, then maybe we move certain classes down to the first floor of the building. All the new buildings should be accessible. I, but I think it's going to be a whole lot better to not think about this in the abstract. OK, let's say you want to start a program like this in a school. Let's start with the easy kids. Because you want to make sure when you first introduce it, you're going to have successes. OK, interesting things you can have kids do. And uh, now what's happening? This doesn't seem to want to work. OK, now it's really trippy when I asked a physicist about uh, Think about a church steeple. Instead of seeing a whole lot of specific pictures like me, he sees pictures of people swaying and music and stuff like that. Completely different. Now, there's the, um, now I seem to be having trouble with, uh, I seem to have several slide changers. There's the iPhone. We already discussed that. Um, let's avoid overly narrow college majors. I'll tell you what SpaceX wants. They want engineering, computer science mixed up together with a dash of physics in it. Don't get too specialized. And if you want to do the really far out stuff, you put biology in it. Oh, let me tell you, that's going to be brave new world. And I combine the philosophy and history stuff with business classes. I got to make you more employable. I did animal behavior, industrial design, neuroscience, and psychology. I was originally a psych major. 
But the things I learned about optical illusions helped me with my cattle stuff. Because I looked at what were the animals seeing, and people thought that was stupid. And I noticed that cattle would balk at shadows. They'd balk at pieces of chain hanging down, stuff that people don't notice. Don't get over-specialized. I like what Isaac Asimov has to say about getting over-specialized. A degree is the first step down a ruinous highway. <laughs> you don't want to waste it, so you go into doctoral research, and you end up a thoroughgoing ignoramus on everything in the world except for one subdivisional sliver of nothing. <laughs> All right, let's look at artificial intelligence. This is the ultimate autistic brain. It is a bottom-up thinker the same way I think. The way I think is you take specific examples and you start to put them in categories. When I was a little kid, I sorted cats, dogs, and horses by size. Okay, then as I learned more, okay, dachshunds are dogs, but they're the same size as cats. So then I had to find other features dachshunds share with dogs, like barking and their smell. It's bottom-up thinking, thinking in specific examples. And it's really, really good at specialized skills. But what worries me is hackers training it wrong. An AI program is only as good as its training. And you get hackers in there training it to do the wrong things. You better have a mechanical off switch. Remember in Space Odyssey how they had to turn HAL off and it was done mechanically? <laughs> oh, now what's going on here? What is going on with this? Okay, I'm having a lot of problems with slide changers here. Um, thing is, is AI is the ultimate bottom-up thinking. That's what it is. And here's a, here's a guy that they're taking cancer patient data and they're going to form the hypothesis from the data. It's not top-down. See, verbal thinking is very, very top-down. And watch out when we get into material science, it's going to be beyond trippy. Now, understanding animal behavior, I paid attention to visual details. How many people know what that is right there? Ooh, you must have had the eclipse here. Those are eclipse shadows. And I didn't know that eclipses made these weird shadows. This is on the sidewalk in front of our library on campus. I watched students walk over this. They didn't notice it. I noticed it. And I, I was sort of appalled and how oblivious a lot of the students were to the eclipse. Only about 20% were interested. Things like chains hanging down and shoot scare cattle, little pieces of yellow tape. Uh, we need non-slip flooring for cattle. All right, how many people noticed that that animal is looking at the sunbeam? Right, we're doing better than the mathematicians would do on this. <laughs> but you see, that's observation. Visual thinking is about observation. Animal memories are specific because they're sensory-based and not word-based. Like I knew a horse that was afraid of black cowboy hats but not white cowboy hats. It's sensory-based. Some autistic kids are sensory-based. Top-down verbal thinkers overgeneralize. We have a lot of problems with that in education. And a lot of gobbledygook. Oh, let's read some more gobbledygook on this thing here. <laughs> the estimated average burden associated with the collection of this information is 15 minutes per responder or record keeper, depending on the individual circumstances. That's good gobbledygook. <laughs> uh, that's the thing I have to fill out for a talk I'm doing for a government agency. And uh, let's do some medical model gobbledygook for Boeing aircraft. That's really stupid. 
but it's absolutely accurate. Okay, I was at the Atlanta airport, and uh, my plane had a mechanical. So I run over to these other windows where I could see them, everything going on. All the doctors from uh, you know, the Delta Airlines hangar over there uh, checking this patient out at the gate. Well, they finally figured out that it had a microbleed in the anterior proximal rotary appendage. All right, what's wrong with your airplane? This is proper medical gobbledygook <laughs> for a little hydraulic leak in the uh, mechanism that pulls the landing gear up and down. Okay, anterior proximal, because it's up inside the plane. This is distal rotary appendage. This is proximal. It's the front wheel. Yeah? Good gobbledygook, isn't it? You know, geek, nerd, and mild autism are the same thing. And you know what I think with the genetics thing, I gotta read the whole genetics report and I get home, that the autism genes are so embedded, they're not gonna find them like they found out why I have these crappy little teeth that I've got. Yes, that's a very expensive genetic test to figure that out. That was sort of interesting. Okay, now, when a mind is more cognitive, you like to explore. Why do we do something like Voyager? Because you want to just send the satellite out there and explore. Voyager is now 40 years old. It's leaving our solar system. It still works. Those geeks, uh, they, they bootlegged enough super really good parts to make sure it keep working. So they get some good pictures of Saturn, and here's the guy. His whole reason for living, 81-year-old Ed Stone, he's still at Mission Control and they're still gonna find out some things about Earth when Voyager leaves the solar system completely. Why are we a class M planet that has life? And you know where mission control is now? They lost all the funding, they're kicked out of NASA. It's at a strip mall next to a puppy training center and a McDonald's. <laughs> now the thing is, is that they have to pull this very weak signal in. So you're gonna have some satellite dishes probably as wide as this room they're in three different parts of the world working together to pull in the signal. You've got geeks seeking knowledge. They figure out how to get the budget to do that. You see, that's pure seeking knowledge. I read about this about six months ago in the New York Times Magazine. I cried for the whole flight. People were wondering what was wrong with me. Why was I crying so much on this plane? Because I got so emotional about reading this. Seeking pure knowledge. That's just reason for living. And maybe, that's just amazing. And then when I went to the NASA Center in Ames, uh, there was an old abandoned McDonald's there. And what they've got in there are all these ancient kind of data tapes they have for some of the old satellites, and the retirees are coming in and trying to get the data off. And what this brings up is, let's look into retirees. They could work with these kids. We got Boeing engineers that are retired. Let's get them teaching kids some engineering, teaching kids some mechanics. Let's throw the cars out of the garage and use garages what they should be used for. Getting kids off the video games doing stuff. Let's tap into these retirees. Because kids aren't going to get interested in engineering unless they get exposed to it. And I've got a new book coming out this spring called Calling All Minds. It's about inventions. And when I was a little kid, I made a little bird kite with little winglets. You know, and then the Dreamliners go like this. Airbus has got a new plane with curly cues like that. I just saw her the other day at the airport. Looked it up online. Really cool. Uh, why do golf balls have dimples? That was an accidental discovery. 
scuffed up rough ones worked better than smooth ones. That's how that was discovered. It's really cool things. Okay, let's start teaching kids how to work. Walking dogs, selling cookies, church jobs, farmer's market. Let's figure out what we can do in the neighborhood. You know, some, some, some stuff you don't need a lot of funding for. Figure out what you can do in the neighborhood. Okay, my work ethic. When I was 13, mother got me a sewing job with a freelance seamstress, cleaning horse stalls at 15, roofing at 16. That's probably illegal, but man, it's fun. <laughs> uh, sign painting, and my sign painting work morphed into uh, corral designing, carpentry work. I did a research internship at a lab when I was in college. Lots of work experience. And I... Uh, I was uh, doing a lot of carpentry work when I was at the high school, and I was painting stupid signs for the carnival. Now we don't even have hand-painted signs anymore. Kind of sad. So how did I get a weird job like that? I showed an old sign painter a portfolio of my work. When you're weird, you sell your work, not yourself. I'd go in an interview and just lay out the portfolio. Just show the work off. There's my sign painting truck. So that brings up the issue of driving it's going to take longer. Driver's Ed chucks them in too fast. I did a whole summer on dirt roads. That was 200 miles on dirt roads so we went near any traffic. It's that simple. Favorite classes? My English literature class. I had one worthless class in college. It was body mechanics, a stupid exercise class. <laughs> but sometimes you just got to do something stupid. Um, I had a great science teacher. I had Ann out at the ranch, and then there was a contractor named Jim Uhl who seeked me out. He'd seen my drawings. Yeah, you know, an ability attracts things. You get to show the drawings off. That's how I sold jobs. What would happen to me today? No speech until age four. I would get good early intervention, but I'd be a prime candidate for video game addiction. One of the reasons why I'm so down on this is I'm seeing bad results. Yeah, let's do what this little Italian nursery school is doing. We're teaching kids how to use tools really young. Oh, we need to be doing work experience. And don't let your label totally define you. Yeah, Boeing engineers much cooler than autism. Even though there's lots of autism genes over there. I wouldn't have been able to fly on a plane today without autism genes. It's just that simple. Okay. And we need hands-on experiences in the schools because sometimes the experiments don't work. That's the real world. And when they get my book, Calling All Minds, they're going to find they've got to work on that bird kite to get it to work because the art paper with the rough surface that I had as a child, you know, maybe I can buy it on some weird internet site, but you can't just go like in an office supply store and get it. Okay, last year I talked to a lady who ran a riding stable, and she had to teach th three or four teenagers how to hook up a garden hose. That's pretty pathetic. Okay, now I like to explore inner space. Okay, I've done the genetic stuff, and I try out all the new brain scanning equipment, and all the stuff that I try out is not commercially available. But you know what? My art ability showed up when I was in third grade, and my art ability was always encouraged, and I got a big visual thinking circuit. Build on strength. You got a kid that's good at math? Build on the math. Have the kid learn programming. Build on it. I've been in the construction industry for 25 years. I'd sell a job, design it, supervise its construction, start it up. 
Construction's about finishing jobs. And if a smart kid ends up in the basement playing video games, that's uh, not a very good project, that's for sure. There's a big visual thinking circuit. And right there, you can see the trashed out algebra department. <laughs> uh, I basically have no working memory. I got to write everything down. Like when a speaking agent calls me up, and I'm waiting in line at security, and I'm going, you know, I'm going to have to call you back because I can't write on the calendar right now in the security line. I've got to um, get out to the gate, and I'll call you back. OK, one thing about the meat industry, there's no academic barrier of entry. You can read and write, do simple math, you're in. How did I get out of algebra? Because in 66, when I went to college, it wasn't the required class. <laughs> the required class was finite math, statistics, and probability. And I entered college on probation because I flunked the, the uh, SATs, totally trashed them. Uh, mother pounded open the back door. See, there are lots of things you got to figure out how we can get into the back door. You show the portfolio to the right person. I'd go show them drawings and stuff of jobs. Uh, I grew up in an educated family. I did lots of little projects made with cardboard. Books were an important part of my life. My two favorite books when I was a kid, Inventors and Black Beauty. And early exposure to career interests, really, really important. And uh, when you're weird, you got to show off your work. So I'd go into a job interview, and I'd lay that out on the table. Big two-foot by three-foot drawing. Yeah, I was really weird. And they go, and you drew that? Well, yes, I did draw that. <laughs> so what I had to do, I had to learn how to read blueprints first. And the way I learned how to read blueprints was to take this big blueprint of the Swift meatpacking plant, walk around the plant for two days till every line on the drawing matched the equipment. And then there was a draftsman named Davey. And I learned the technique of drawing by watching him. This guy was brilliant. You know what he did after he left the feedlot construction company? He worked for a model airplane company, and he made a stealth fighter model that looked just like the top secret real one because he was a visual thinker and he figured out how to shape a plane to evade radar. The military was having kittens over that. You better believe it. That's the guy I learned drafting from. And there is um, my brochure. Yeah, four-color printing was really expensive back then. You, you had to do really nice um, just black and white printing. And there's the original dip vat, original photo that was on my first brochure. There's another photo there. And there's the one they built for the movie. I love the fact that the movie had my real drawings and real jobs in it. There's another thing that's in the movie that's really important. There's a scene in there where I go up to the editor of the magazine and I get his card. That happened. I had the guts to do that, to go get the card. Lots of times, people, the door opens and people don't see it. I figured that one out early on. Here are two of my projects starting. And I'm realizing how much construction affects how I think. When you don't have parts, we'd pick that phone up until we got parts. And when I got asked by the McElhaney Cattle Company in 1976 to design this job, I said, give me three weeks, because I had absolutely no idea how to do steel reinforcement. The next day, man, I was picking that horn up, and I called a guy I knew in Washington to send me the drawings for the concrete reinforcement. You know, you got to get it done. I was only at the 60% level of knowledge. I went through the door. You know, a lot of girls won't go through the door until they're at the 90%. But guys will go through the door at the 20%. <laughs> and then 
But then you know what they do? They try to wing it. I was uh, scrambling around finding out how to do the rebar reinforcement. They wing it, make a $20 million mistake. How about build a packing plant without enough wastewater treatment, even when you've been told you didn't have enough? <laughs> and here's one of my center track restrainer systems. This is a major piece of equipment. Don't worry, I won't show you any gucky slaughter pictures. If you want to see how this works, you can look up Beef Plant Video Tour with Temple Grandin. But what I really wanted to do is just show off the steel work here. You know, you have a lot of complicated steel work. And, uh, you know, stupid people don't build complicated steel work like this. And one of the things that's a worry is we can still build a beef plant, but we don't know how to do all the stuff anymore for pork plant. The Italians and other countries know how to do that. That's because we've taken skilled trades out. And you're going to live in one of these fancy uh, towers out here? There's some big pumps you better have. You better have a little respect for skilled trades. It's just that simple. Okay, and you're going to need people to fix and maintain equipment. And there's some more of my drawings. That's the original drawing for the dip vat. I always like to show my drawings off. Here is uh, pictures of jobs. These are the kind of things I'd show clients, because when you're totally, absolutely beyond weird, you've got to show your work off. So there's another picture of a job right there. And another picture of a job. You show off the work. And half the cattle in this country are handled in equipment I designed in these large meat packing plants. I think that's doing pretty good for somebody they thought was retarded. I think we're going to end right there, and we've got mics for questions. And if nobody has questions, I'm going to pick somebody. So somebody better get up <laughs> to those mics right now. OK, let's get some people up to these mics and ask some questions. Hey, Temple. I have a question about the pattern of bullying of individuals who are different. And do you well, see that in other mammals? I had a horrible time in high school. Now, fortunately, in elementary school, my teachers did a really good thing. Mrs. Deach, the head uh, elementary school teacher, explained to the other children that I had a handicap that was not visible, like a wheelchair, and, and get the other kids to help me and explain when I do something socially wrong. High school was awful. And the only place I was not bullied was when I had friends who shared interests, like would ride horses with my friend, or we'd do model rockets, or some other activity like that, shared interests. You know, other kids are doing just great with something like theater or band. Uh, but no, bullying's a real problem. And there's some kids, maybe they gotta be taken out of high school. Take them out of high school and homeschool them, they better get in the workforce. We've got to keep the butt out of the basement. Do you see that bullying behavior in other mammals? In other animals? Mammals. Oh, yeah. The more smart the animal, the nastier they get. <laughs> and I've got, in thinking in pictures, I've got really awful things about teenage dolphins and chimpanzees like beating up old granddaddy and you know, big-brained animals do the really nasty stuff. I have a question over here. And of course, and it's the boys that, okay, all right. You mentioned the movie, and um, some of us got more familiar with you through the movie, with Claire Danes. Um, yeah, she did a great job. Yeah, so I was just curious how, how, you know, you wonder about historical accuracy with any film or anything. I was just wondering 
how that hit you and, and how historically accurate did it seem to you? Well, they, uh, the uh, visual thinking was shown accurately. All the projects were real. Um, there's some things that they that they've changed around. There's a scene in there where the doctor says, you know, going to the institution. Well, they actually got me to a neurologist who recommended speech therapy school. But back in that era, recommending an institution for a severe kid that's like got you know constant screaming, rocking, you know, really bad-looking autistic baby. Usually, that's what they did in that era. I was born in 1947. All the, uh, the work stuff was real accurate, the visual thinking was accurate, the sensory stuff, the movie's clinically accurate in terms of showing autism accurately. And I thought Claire Danes sort of, she just became me. It was kind of like getting in the 60s and 70s time machine. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm a mom of an autistic kid, and I always struggle with you know, pushing my child, being a soft place for them to land. All right, land. first of all, let's get a little more information about the kids so we don't overgeneralize. Age. Age. Well, now? <laughs> well, this is why, this is the reason why, uh, well, well, this is the thing. You see, before I can even think about any advice, I have to have more information. I've got to get age, level right. of functioning. Three-year-olds that are not talking, I can give out a pretty much standard right. answer. Right. Once so, you get older, I've got to have a lot more information. Yep. Uh, she's uh, Asperger's. She could read how, how and comprehend college-level material at age nine. She's in college now. And I just wonder, how hard do you push? What you, know? you have to do with these kids is you have to stretch. We don't throw them in the deep end of the pool. We don't do surprises. But you've got to stretch and you give choices. And, and she also needs to start learning how to work because I'm seeing very bad stuff where kids are going all the way through and getting PhDs in something like math and then they can't hold a job. And so that work skill, I was doing internships, I did a research lab, I did an aid for an autistic kid one summer. I was doing internships before internships were invented and my mother set up some of those internships and so, and I'm seeing some moms who can't let go when I suggest that their 16-year-old should buy printer paper, you know, something that innocent, and she started crying saying she couldn't let go, and her son didn't know how to shop. And then I went in an airport, this was maybe a month ago, ran into a 14-year-old girl and her mom, she was on the spectrum, and I said, Have you, has your daughter ever shopped? And they're squirming around and they wouldn't tell me. So I whipped the $5 bill out of my pocket. She said, go to that newsstand and buy something. I think it was the first time she shopped. She went and bought a drink and gave me the change back. <laughs> Wasn't that big a deal. Uh, you have to stretch. Um, and if she's in college right now, has she ever worked? No. She needs to get a job. Yes. All right. Now, we've got to put her in something not too hectic. You see, now, I don't think in generalities. I'll tell you something not to do. Shove them in a super busy clothing store at Christmas Rush. That you don't do. But the big problem I'm seeing is there's a lot of kids that are doing academically well in college yes. and they trash the workplace because they haven't learned working. So what can we do to get her a job this summer? That's well, how hard I want to know how to, you know, well, get that to go. All right, let's. It's, um, it's a challenge. What's she, what's she majoring in college right now? A uh, combination of 
law, psychology, well, and don't, computers. That artificial intelligence is going to trash that, and I wouldn't bother uh, studying endocrinology, radiology, or rheumatology because Hal's going to, Watson are going to get that job. Uh, law, what else is he studying? Uh, Cybersecurity. Cybersecurity? Well, you know, everything's going to get hacked. <laughs> nothing's private. Absolutely nothing's private. Treat everything online as public. Okay, but the first thing, she needs to just get some work skills under her belt. Even if it's just working in a grocery store this summer, just to learn working skills. Okay, so I'm going to ask, who do you know that has a business? We live on Bainbridge Island, so it's a very small community. Well, you know anybody in the general store or something? We're in construction. You know, and I've really found that construction's a mentality. Like when I was working on my center track restrainer system two weeks before a startup at a Cargill plant, the equipment company calls me and they say, we won't make startup because the place that was going to do the galvanizing of the metal shut down. I go, really? I found another place to galvanize it. Yeah. I was lucky. I got it on the first call. I said, load it on that flatbed. Get it out of here. You got a 12-hour trip to Illinois. Get it loaded. They did. All right. Next time we see you, hopefully she's got a job. But, but <laughs> the thing is, she needs to get a job. Grease those skids, make it happen. And something that's not too hectic. Let's look at things where jobs have been really successful. Three different families put their teenage boy into a car dealership and they sold cars just like that. Couldn't drive them, but man, they started selling them. <laughs> They'd sit in them in park, in park, demonstrate the electronics. Ice cream shops are good because they're not so hectic on learning social skills. McDonald's lunch rush might be uh, bad. I don't want too hectic a job. Okay, right there. Okay. <laughs> That's what I get for not paying attention. Um, I have a question regarding the uh, algebra um, piece you were talking about. Uh, about sorry, but not, on the fact that algebra, with being a ver with being a visual thinker. Well, algebra doesn't make any sense to me. Let them go to geometry or figure out a way to get out of it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Do you know, um, could you suggest any colleges that are doing um, kind of those sub-outs here in the U.S.? Well, I'm having trouble hearing. So any colleges that are working on the accommodations for that, um, like community colleges you may know of that have You know what's the best thing to do? You get a single professor interested. That's how I got in the back door. I went back door through everything. So let's say there's a good portfolio you can show off some drawings and things like that, or math stuff they've done, or computer programming stuff. Okay, here's some code for this. Here's the app I made for phone. And you get a professor interested. A lot of doors can open. So what do you do? You go on the college websites, and you go through all the professor's bios, and you look their papers up on Google Scholar. Oh, man, you got so many tools now, I didn't have one. I... And let's start looking at what's the goal. What's the goal? Rather than, you know, where do you want to go? What would be the dream job? I just have a lot of kids that have a hard time. Okay, let's not talk in generalities. Give me a specific example. You don't they have to worry about pass privacy 97 rules. And I don't know anybody here. They Give can't me pass a specific money. example. 
They can't pass Math 97 and 98 foundational They can't math. pass the math test? No. And uh, how well can they read? Most of them pretty well. Okay, I'll tell you what you need to run a Fortune 500 company. I've been in the boardrooms of Fortune 500 companies. Read and write at the USA Today level and be able to do the old-fashioned up to sixth grade math. I've been in the state of California at a community college, and they could do algebra, but they couldn't find the area of a circle. And I designed hydraulic equipment, and you better know how to find the area of a circle. That's something I knew how to do. Uh, I've got to get a real realistic appraisal of their reading and writing level, because we got a lot of kids today in college, and their writing skills are awful because nobody went through and copy edited their work. And if I'm an employer, I want someone I can write. And I don't have to worry about asymmetries in the cattle market. That's what I had to take out of one student's papers. I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, and just write in clear writing without a bunch of run-on sentences and gobbledygook. Yeah, you're right. Some of them can't write, but yeah, we're working uh, on if, if you get a portfolio that's good enough, a lot of doors will open. You have to get that portfolio in the hands of the right person. And sometimes old-fashioned paper mail is the best because people are scared to death to open weird email attachments. <laughs> okay. Good evening, Temple. My name is Katie, and my son Wilson goes to WSU, and he's 26, and he's majoring in broadcast journalism. He's majoring in what? Broadcast journalism and also working as the master control supervisor for Cable 8 TV. Now, is and he going to do, doing that right now? Yes. And so my concern is he has no social life. So he works really hard. He's doing relatively well in school. He's going to get social life through you know, the electronic people that like to play with uh, you know, radio station equipment or whatever it is he's working on. When I was just over at Lewiston, they had a great big gigantic music mixing board there, a huge one the size of this desk. And um, one of their high school students got a really good job because he knew how to work that board. And he just says, well, I know how to run this kind of board. So you know how to run that? You're hired. Well, you know, just, again, that's as, portfolio. Yeah, but as, as a mom, how do I kind of pull back and in, but still encourage him to All do right, where do we things? want him to go? Well, Let's look at the goal and then figure out the path to the goal. I mean, the thing that amazes me about Gary Cohn, this is a guy that walked down, went down to the stock exchange, puts a fancy suit on, sees a fancy suit, get in a car, in a taxi, says, oh, can I grab a ride to the airport with you? And, he, hears, and he, he doesn't even want to ride to the airport. He talked himself into a job he didn't even know how to do. Well, you know, the goal, obviously, is for him to be employed, but also for him to feel comfortable developing community and having a couple of friends. Well, and some of the friends are going to come through shared interests. Right. That's where you're going to get friends. And where a diagnosis gives you the most insight is in your social life. I have a book called Different Not Less, which is this, the personal stories of 14 people with Asperger's diagnosed later in life, all at jobs. And where the diagnosis helped them was on relationships. Right. I don't think it helps on the work front. But uh, right. for the, uh, he's, he's going to get friends to his other you know, radio engineering friends okay. or whatever TV, whatever it is he's doing. Okay, so I just need to relax as a mom. <laughs> well, he's, and he's in a good job right now? Pardon me? He's in a good job right now? Well, he's, yeah, he's running, um, he's a master control supervisor for WSU Cable 8 television. He's running the control room at a cable company? No, this is Washington State University, the college television He's station. running a college television. Okay, but now we need to start portfolioing all the skills right. he's doing, right. photograph the equipment that he knows how to operate, 
Yep. Because a lot of these people interview really badly. So when he goes on an interview, he says, I know how to run this. And just put a picture of it. And this. And I know how to do this. Great. And just show pictures of the equipment. You know, Perfect. just sell. What I've learned is to sell the work rather than yourself. And as long as you know he's civil and he's not. Well, using... that's a really great idea because he got passed over for a, um, a job in Alaska by a janitor who had no experience, no certifications, and my son had the certifications, but the GM who was doing the hiring said he was awkward. So they well, hired yeah, a janitor. You see, now the thing is, if he's going to take an engineering job at a station, uh, engineers are going to be awkward. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you better uh, get a tour of Boeing, you'll probably find out. Thank you. Appreciate okay, it. or watch them come out when the ship's over with. Hi, Temple. I'm going to give you some specifics. I'm an uh, elementary special education um, teacher, uh, and I work with students kindergarten through fifth grade who are higher functioning um, with autism. So you're working who, with the, L, the up through fifth grade, okay? Yes, who are all um, included about 90% of the day in the general education. And my question for you is I heard some really good ideas that you had for preschool for using more tools, and I heard some good ideas for middle and high school. I was wondering if you have some more practical solutions for us elementary school teachers to help our students um, get that more hands-on experience. You miss making stuff. Like one thing in my, my uh, Calling All Minds book, uh, one of the projects I got there is simple, making paper snowflakes. Okay. I mean, we've got kids not doing things that simple. You know, just the little projects, you know, we used to make in elementary school. I, one time I went to school, I think I'll leave the name of the state out of it, but it was like a third or fourth grade class, and the kids were learning their shapes, but they were only looking at them. They weren't cutting them out. They weren't drawing them. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could do. Mm -hmm. This little nursery school I went to, they were using glue guns under adult supervision. <laughs> we had to make sure they didn't eat computer parts. Yeah, you're going to have to have uh, some supervision, uh, but these little kids were using screwdrivers and little nuts and bolts and all kinds of stuff like this. And the thing that was interesting, it was an Italian model. And I, find, I see that two weeks after I went to the poultry show in Atlanta and walked through trade show, show booths of all kinds of Italian equipment. So when you were in elementary, was that the most helpful thing for you? What was that? When you were in elementary school, was that the most helpful thing for you? Well, hands-on things made, element, made me like elementary school. We had, you know, clay. We were, you know, back in those days, a kid's project was an ashtray. <laughs> and then in first grade, we made, we made one with unfired clay. And then by third grade, you got to make an ashtray with fired clay. I, I know they wouldn't be doing that now. But these little hands, that's showing my age here, but these little hands-on projects, I mean, just just all kinds, making all kinds of little things. Like my father's shirts came with a piece of poster board in it, a piece of cardboard about like poster board. And if I could make it out of poster board, I made it. Just making stuff out of cardboard. I, I went to a maker fair for elementary school kids yeah. and they had all kinds of electronic stuff. You know what was a big hit? Washing machine boxes. <laughs> and little kids can cut washing machine boxes. If you take a hacksaw blade, break it in half, Tape one end of it for a handle. Little kids can cut that big, heavy cardboard with it. I mean, this stuff that didn't, the stuff they were using in this little Italian nursery school didn't even cost anything. It was like junk computer stuff. And then you'd mix that up with tree branches and leaves mixed up with a Dell laptop lid. 
great. Thank you. Oh, stuff that costs nothing. Thank you. Okay, one more here, and then that's it. Okay. Hi, Temple. As a spatial thinker, how do I bridge the gap to communicate with you? You're a what kind of thinker? I'm a spatial thinker. You're a visual thinker? Spatial. Oh, spatial thinker. Okay, so I'm I having... How do bridge the gap to communicate with you? Well, the first thing in figuring out with the different kinds of minds is realizing they exist. Like when working on Calling All Minds with Betsy, my co-author, she's completely verbal. And I remember being on second grade science sites, and I was explaining leverage to her. You know, and she's a complete verbal thinker. But the first step that you have to do is realize that there's different kinds of thinking. Steve Jobs, the artist, made an interface on a phone that was simple. Engineers had to make it work when you do this. You see, the first step is you've got to realize there are different kinds of thinkers and look at how they can do different parts of a project. What field are you in? Okay. Me? I'm technically retired. I work in construction, and I think things up and make them happen. And you make them happen. That's what you do in construction. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to do some book signing and some pictures, and thank you all for coming. we got to get the job done. Thank you. Thanks for streaming this extra episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9, Seattle. Dr. Temple Grandin gave this talk, Different Kinds of Minds, as part of the University of Washington Graduate School Lecture Series, Equity and Difference, Rights. You can hear the full event on our website, KUOW.org slash Speakers Forum. Maybe subscribe to our podcast when you're there. We have a wealth of talks to follow. Tune in again soon. Thank you.